The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams The podcast versions of the original Facebook Live readings during the coronavirus outbreak by Matthew Ogden, The Bearded Wit. Please bear in mind that as Facebook Live recordings, these are rough and ready, there are mistakes, there are a few trip-ups here and there, and there is laughter from the reader as he goes through and follows the humour himself along with you, the listener. We hope you enjoy listening to these and share liberally. Part 9 The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy notes that Disaster Area, a plutonium rock band from the Gagrakaka mind zones, are generally held not only to be the loudest rock band in the galaxy, but in fact, the loudest noise of any kind at all. Regular concert goers judge that the best sound is usually to be heard from within a large concrete bunker some 37 miles from the stage, whilst the musicians themselves play their instruments by remote control from within a heavily insulated spaceship, which stays in orbit around the planet, or more frequently, around a completely different planet. Their songs are, on the whole, very simple, and mostly follow the familiar theme of boy being meets girl being beneath a silvery moon, which then explodes for no adequately explained reason. Many worlds have now banned their act altogether, sometimes for artistic reasons, but most commonly because the band's public address system contravenes local strategic arms limitation treaties. This has not, however, stopped their earnings from pushing back the boundaries of pure hypermathematics, and their chief research accountant has recently been appointed Professor of Neomathematics at the University of Maximegalon, in recognition of both his general and his special theories of disaster area tax returns, in which he proves that the whole fabric of the space-time continuum is not merely curved, it is in fact totally bent. Ford staggered back to the table where Zaphod, Arthur and Trillian were sitting waiting for the fun to begin. Gotta have some food, said Ford. Hi, Ford, said Zaphod. You speak to the big noise boy? Ford waggled his head noncommittally. Hot, hot black, I sort, of, I sort of spoke to him, yeah. What did he say? Well... Not a lot, really. He's... he's, uh... Yeah? Uh, he's spending a year dead for tax reasons. I've got to sit down. He sat down. The waiter approached. Would you like to see the menu, he said, or would you like to meet the dish of the day? Huh? said Ford. Huh? said Arthur. Huh? said Trillian. That's cool, said Zaphod. Let's uh, meet the meat. In a small room, in one of the arms of the restaurant complex, a tall, thin, gangling figure pulled aside a curtain, and Oblivion looked him in the face. It was not a pretty face, perhaps because Oblivion had looked him in it so many times. It was too long, for a start, the eyes too sunken and hooded, the cheeks too hollow, his lips were too thin and too long, and when they parted his teeth looked too much 
like a recently polished bay window. The hands that held the curtain were long and thin, too. They were also cold. They lay lightly along the folds of the curtain and gave the impression that if he didn't watch them like a hawk, they would crawl away of their own accord and do something unspeakable in a corner. He let the curtain drop, and the terrible light that had played on his features went off to play somewhere more healthy. He prowled around his small chamber, like a mantis contemplating an evening's praying, finally settling on a rickety chair by a trestle table, where he leafed through a few sheets of jokes. A bell rang. He pushed the thin sheaf of papers aside and stood up. His hands brushed limply over some of the one million rainbow-coloured sequins with which his jacket was festooned, and he was gone through the door. In the restaurant, the lights dimmed. The band quickened its pace. A single spotlight stabbed down into the darkness of the stairway that led up to the centre of the stage. Up the stairs bounded a tall, brilliantly coloured figure. He burst onto the stage, tripped lightly up to the microphone, removed it from its stand with one swoop of his long, thin hand, and stood for a moment bowing left and right to the... To, sorry, bowing left and right to the audience, acknowledging their applause and displaying to them his bay window. He waved to his particular friends in the audience, even though there weren't any there, and waited for the applause to die down. He held up his hand and smiled a smile that stretched not merely from ear to ear, but seemed to extend somewhere beyond the mere confines of his face. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, he cried. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. He eyed them with a twinkling eye. Ladies and gentlemen, he said, the universe as we know it has now been in existence for over 170,000 million billion years and will be ending in a little over half an hour. So welcome one and all to Milliways, the restaurant at the end of the universe. With a gesture, he deftly conjured another round of spontaneous applause. With another, he cut it. I am your host for tonight, he said. My name is Max Quartelpleen. Everybody knew this. His act was famous throughout the known galaxy, but he said it for the fresh applause it generated, which he acknowledged with a disclaiming smile and wave. And I've just come straight from the very other end of time where I've been hosting a show at the Big Bang Burger Bar where I could tell you we had a very exciting evening, ladies and gentlemen, and I will be with you right through this historic occasion, the end of history itself. Another burst of applause died away quickly as the lights dimmed down further. On every table, candles ignited themselves spontaneously, eliciting a slight gasp from all the diners and wreathing them in a thousand tiny flickering lights and a million intimate shadows. A tremor of excitement thrilled through the darkened restaurant as the vast golden dome above them began very, very slowly to dim, to darken, to fade. Max's voice was hushed as he continued. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, he breathed, the candles are lit. The band plays softly, and as the force-shielded dome above us fades into transparency, revealing a dark and sullen sky hung heavy with the ancient light of livid, swollen stars, I can see that we're all in for a fabulous evening's apocalypse. Even the soft tootling of the band faded away, a stunned shock descended on all those who had not seen the sight before. A monstrous, grisly light poured in on them. A hideous light, a boiling, pestilential light, a light that would have disfigured hell. The universe was coming to an end. For a few interminable seconds, the restaurant spun silently through the raging void. Then Max spoke again. For those of you who ever hope to see the light at the end of the tunnel, he said, this is it. The band struck up again. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, cried Max. I'll be back with you again in just a moment. And meanwhile, I leave you in the very capable hands of Mr. Reg Nullify and his cataclysmic combo. Big hand, please, ladies and gentlemen, for Reg and the boys. The baleful turmoil of the skies continued. Hesitantly, the audience began to clap. And after a moment or so, normal conversation resumed. Max began his round of the tables, swapping jokes, shouting with laughter, earning his living. A large dairy animal approached Zaphod Beeblebrox's table. A large, fat, meaty quadruped of the bovine type, with large, watery eyes, small horns, and what might almost have been an ingratiating smile on its lips. Good evening. It lowed and sat back heavily on its haunches. I am the main dish of the day. May I interest you in parts of my body? It harumphed and gurgled a bit, wriggled its hindquarters into a more comfortable position and gazed peacefully at them. Its gaze was met by looks of startled bewilderment from Arthur and Trillian a resigned shrug from Ford Prefect, and naked, unabashed hunger from Zaphod Beeblebrox. Something off the shoulder, perhaps, suggested the animal, braised in a white wine sauce. Uh, your shoulder? said Arthur in a horrified whisper. But naturally, my shoulder, sir, mooed the animal contentedly. Nobody else's is mine to offer. Zaphod leapt to his feet and started prodding and feeling the animal's shoulder appreciatively. Oh, the, the rump is very good, murmured the animal. I've been exercising it and eating plenty of grain, so there's a lot of good meat there. It gave a mellow grunt, gurgled again, and started to chew the cud. It swallowed the cud again. Or a casserole of me, perhaps, it added. You 
mean this animal actually wants us to eat it? whispered Trillian to Ford. Me? said Ford, with a glazed look in his eyes. I, I don't mean anything. That's absolutely horrible! exclaimed Arthur. The most revolting thing I've ever heard. What's the problem, Earthman? said Zaphod, now transferring his attention to the animal's enormous rump. I, I just don't want to eat an animal that's standing there inviting me to, said Arthur. It's heartless. Better than eating an animal that doesn't want to be eaten, said Zaphod. That's not the point, Arthur protested. Then he thought about it for a moment. All right, he said, maybe that is the point. I, I don't care. I'm not going to think about it now. I'll just... Um, uh. The universe raged about him in its death throes. I think I'll just have a green salad, he muttered. Uh, may I urge you to consider my liver? asked the animal. It must be very rich and tender by now. I've been force-feeding myself for months. A green salad, said Arthur emphatically. A green salad? Oops, sorry. <laughs> A green salad, said the animal, rolling his eyes disapprovingly at Arthur. Are you going to tell me, said Arthur, that I shouldn't have green salad? Well said the animal. I know many vegetables that are very clear on that point, which is why it was eventually decided to cut through the whole tangled problem and breed an animal that actually wanted to be eaten and was capable of saying so clearly and distinctly. And here I am. It managed a very slight bow. Glass of water, please said Arthur. Look, said Zaphod, we want to eat, and we don't want to make a meal of the issues. Four rare steaks, please, and hurry, we haven't eaten in 576,000 million years. The animal staggered to its feet and gave a mellow gurgle. A very wise choice, sir, if I may say so. Very good, it said. I'll, uh, I'll just nip off and shoot myself. He turned and gave a friendly wink to Arthur. Don't worry, sir, he said. I'll be very humane. It waddled off unhurriedly to the kitchen. A matter of minutes later, the waiter arrived with four huge steaming steaks. Zaphod and Ford wolfed straight into them without a second's hesitation. Trillian paused, then shrugged, and started into hers. Arthur stared at his, feeling slightly ill. Hey, Earthman, said Zaphod with a malicious grin on the face that wasn't stuffing itself. What's eating you? And the band played on. All around the restaurant, people and things relaxed and chatted. The air was filled with talk of this and that, and with a mingled sense of exotic plants, extravagant foods, and insidious wines. 
For an infinite number of miles in every direction, the universal cataclysm was gathering to a stupefying climax. Glancing at his watch, Max returned to the stage with a flourish. And now, ladies and gentlemen, he beamed, is everyone having one last wonderful time? Yes, called out the sort of people who call out yes when comedians ask them if they're having a wonderful time. That's wonderful, enthused Max. Absolutely wonderful. And as the photon storms gather in swirling crowds around us, preparing to tear apart the last of the red-hot suns, I know you're all going to settle back and enjoy with me what I know we will all find an immensely exciting and terminal experience. He paused. He caught the audience with a glittering eye. Believe me, ladies and gentlemen, he said, there is nothing penultimate about this one. He paused again. Tonight, his timing was immaculate. Time after time he had done this show, night after night. Not that the word night had any meaning here at the extremity of time. All there was was the endless repetition of the final moment, as the restaurant rocked slowly forward over the brink of time's furthest edge and back again. This night was good, though. The audience was writhing in the palm of his sickly hand. His voice dropped. They had to strain to hear him. This, he said really is the absolute end, the final chilling desolation in which the whole majestic sweep of creation becomes extinct. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the proverbial it. He dropped his voice still lower. In the stillness, a fly would not have dared clear its throat. After this, he said, there is nothing. Void. Emptiness. Oblivion. Absolute nothing. His eyes glittered again, or did they twinkle? Nothing. Except, of course, for the sweet trolley and a fine selection of Aldebaran liqueurs. The band gave him a music sting. He wished they wouldn't. He didn't need it, not an artist of his calibre. He could play the audience like his own musical instrument. They were laughing with relief. He followed on. And for once, he cried cheerily, you don't need to worry about having a hangover in the morning, because there won't be any more mornings. He beamed at his happy, laughing audience. He glanced up at the sky, going through the same death routine every night. But his glance was only for a fraction of a second. He trusted it to do its job, as one professional trusts another. And now, he said, strutting about the stage, at the risk of putting a damper on the wonderful sense of doom and futility here this evening, I would like to welcome a few parties. He pulled a card from his pocket. Do we have 
He put up a hand to hold back the cheese. Do do we have a party here from uh, Zansquelishur, Flammarion Bridge Club from beyond the vort void of Quarn? Are they here? A rousing cheer came up from the back, but he pretended not to hear. He peered around, trying to find... Are they here? He asked again to elicit a louder cheer. He got it, as he always did. Ah-ha-ha! There they are! Well, last bids, lads, no cheating. Remember, this is a very solemn moment. He lapped up the laughter. And also, do we have, do we have a party of minor deities from the halls of Asgard? Away to his right came a rumble of thunder. Lightning arced across the stage. A small group of hairy men with helmets sat looking very pleased with themselves and raised their glasses to him. Has-beens, he thought to himself. Careful with the hammer, sir, he said. They did their trick with the lightning again. Max gave them a very thin-lipped smile. And thirdly, he said, thirdly, a party of young conservatives from Sirius B. Are, are they here? A party of smartly dressed young dogs stopped throwing rolls at each other and started throwing rolls at the stage. They yapped and barked unintelligibly. Yes, said Max. Well, this is all your fault. You realize that. And finally, said Max, quieting the audience down and putting on his solemn face. Finally, I believe we have here with us tonight a party of believers, very devout believers from the Church of the Second Coming of the great prophet Zarquan. There were about twenty of them, sitting right out on the edge of the floor, ascetically dressed, sipping mineral water nervously, and staying apart from the festivities. They blinked resentfully as the spotlight was turned on them. There they are, said Max, sitting there, patiently. He said he'd come again, and he's kept you waiting a long time. So, let's hope he's hurrying, fellas, because he's only got eight minutes left. The party of Zarquan's followers sat rigid, refusing to be buffeted by the waves of uncharitable laughter which swept over them. Max restrained his audience. No, no, but seriously, folks, seriously, though, no offence meant. No, I know we shouldn't make fun of deeply held beliefs. So I think, a big hand, please, for the great prophet Zarquan. The audience clapped respectfully. Wherever he's got to. He blew a kiss to the stony-faced party and returned to the centre of the stage. He grabbed a tall stool and sat on it. It's marvellous, though, he rattled on, to see so many of you here tonight. No, no, isn't it, though? Yes, absolutely marvellous. Because I know that so many of you come here time and time again, which I think is really wonderful to come and watch this final end of everything, and then return home to your own eras, and raise families, and strive for new and better societies, fight terrible wars for what you know to be right. It really gives one hope for the future of all life kind. Except, of course, he waved at the blitzing turmoil above and around them, that we all know it hasn't got one. Arthur turned to Ford. 
He hadn't quite got this place fully worked out in his mind. Look, surely, he said, if the universe is about to end, don't we go with it? Ford gave him a three-pan-galactic gargle-blaster look. In other words, a rather unsteady one. No, look, he said, look. As soon as you come into this dive, you get held in this sort of amazing force-shielded temporal warp thing, I think. Oh, said Arthur. He turned his attention back to a bowl of soup he'd managed to get from the waiter to replace his steak. Look, said for I'll show you. He grabbed a napkin off the table and fumbled hopelessly with it. Look, look, he said. Imagine this. This imagine this napkin, right? Is is the temporal universe, right? And, and this spoon, this this spoon, as a transductional mode in the matter curve. It took him a while to say this last part, and Arthur hated to interrupt him. Um. That's the spoon I was eating with, he said. All right, said Ford. Imagine this spoon. He found a small wooden spoon on a tray of relishes. Th this spoon, but found it rather tricky to pick up. All right, no better. Better still, this fork. Hey, would you like go on my fork? Snapped Zayford. All right, said Ford. All right, all right. Why don't we say, why don't we say that this wine glass is the temporal universe. What, the one you just knocked on the floor? Oh, did I do that? Yes. All right, said Ford. All right, forget that. I mean, I mean, look, do you know, do, do you know how, how the universe actually began for the kickoff? Probably not, said Arthur, who'd wished he'd never embarked on any of this. All right, said Ford. Right, imagine this, right? You... <clears throat> You get this bath, right? A, a large, round bath, and, and it's made of ebony. Where from? said Arthur. Harrods was destroyed by the Vogons. Doesn't matter. So you keep saying. Listen, all right. Okay, you get this, you get this bath, see? Imagine you've got this bath, and it's ebony, and it's conical. Conical? said Arthur. What sort of... Shh! said Ford. It's conical. So what you do is, you see, you fill it with fine white sand, all right, or, or sugar. Fine white sand and, and or sugar. Anything. doesn't matter. Sugar's fine. Sugar's fine. And when it's full, you pull the plug out. Are you listening? I'm listening. You, you pull the plug out, and it all just twirls away. Twirls away out of the plug hole. I see. You you don't you don't see it all. You don't see it all. I haven't got to the clever bit yet. You want to hear the clever bit? Tell me the clever bit. I'll, I'll tell you the clever bit. Ford thought for a moment, trying to remember what the clever bit was. Um, the the clever ah there yeah, the clever bit is is this. You film it happening. Clever agreed Arthur. You get a movie camera and you film it happening. Clever, 
No, 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 that's not the clever bit. This, this is the clever bit. I remember, I remember now. I remember this is the clever bit. The clever bit is that you then thread the film in the projector backwards. Backwards? Yeah. Threading it backwards is definitely the clever bit. So then you just sit and you watch it and everything just appears to spiral upwards out of the plug hole and fill the bath, see? And that's how the universe began, said Arthur. No, said Ford, but it's a marvellous way to relax. He reached for his wine glass. Where's my wine glass, he said. It's on the floor. Ah. Tipping back his chair to look for it, Ford collided with a small green waiter who was approaching the table carrying a portable telephone. Ford used himself to the waiter, explaining that it was because he was extremely drunk. The waiter said that it was quite all right and that he perfectly understood. Ford thanked the waiter for his kind indulgence, attempted to tug his forelock, missed by six inches and slid slowly under the table. Mr. Zephod Beeblebrox, inquired the waiter. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, said Zephod, glancing up from his third steak. There is a phone call for you. Hey, what? A phone call, sir. For me? Here? Hey, but who knows where I am? One of his minds raced, the other dawdled lovingly over the food it was still shoveling into its maw. Excuse me if I ca excuse me if I carry on, won't you? said his eating head, and carried on. There were now so many people after him he'd actually lost count. He shouldn't have made such a conspicuous entrance. Hell, why not, though, he thought. How do you know if you're having fun if no one's watching you to see you having it? Maybe somebody here tipped off the Galactic Police, said Trillian. Everyone saw you come in. You, you mean they want to arrest me over the phone? said Zaphod. Could be. I'm a pretty dangerous dude when I'm cornered. Yeah, said a voice from under the table. You you go to pieces so fast, people get hit by the shrapnel. Hey, what is this, Judgment Day? snapped Zaphod. Do, do we get to see that as well? said Arthur nervously. I'm in no hurry, muttered Zaphod. Oh, okay, so who's the cat on the phone? He kicked forward. Hey, get up here, kid, he said to him. I may need you. I am not said the waiter, personally acquainted with the metal gentleman in question, sir. Metal? Yes, sir. Did, did you say metal? Yes, sir. I said uh, that I am not personally acquainted with the metal gentleman in question. Okay, carry on. But I am informed that he has been waiting for your return for a considerable number of millennia. It seems you left here somewhat precipitately. Left here? said Zaphod. Are you being strange? We only just arrived here. Indeed, sir, 
persisted the waiter doggedly. "'But before you arrived here, sir, I understand that you left here.' Zaford tried this first in one brain, then in the other. "'You're saying,' he said, "'that before we arrived here, we left here.' This is going to be a long night, thought the waiter. Precisely, sir, he said. Put your analyst on danger money, baby, advised Zaphod. No, no, wait a minute, said Ford, emerging above table level again. <clears throat> where, 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 where exactly is here? Uh, to be... Absolutely exact, sir. It is Frogstar World B. But we just left there, protested Zaphod. We, le we left there and we came to the restaurant at the end of the universe. Yes, sir, said the waiter, feeling that he was now into the home stretch and running well. The one was constructed on the ruins of the other. Oh! said Arthur brightly. You mean we've travelled in time, but not in space? Listen, you semi-evolved simian, cut in Zaphod. Go try climb a tree, will you? Arthur bristled. Go, go bang your heads together, four eyes, he advised Zaphod. No, 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 the waiter said to Zaphod. Your monkey has got it right, sir. Arthur stuttered in fury and said nothing apposite, or indeed coherent. You jumped forward, I believe, 576,000 million years, whilst staying in exactly the same place, explained the waiter. He smiled. He had a wonderful feeling that he had finally won through against what seemed to be insuperable odds. That's it! said Zaphod. I've got it. I told the computer to send us to the nearest place to eat. That's exactly what it did. Give or take 576,000 million years or whatever, we never moved. Neat! They all agreed that this was indeed very neat. But who, said Zaphod, is the cat on the phone? Whatever happened to Marvin, said Trillian. Zaphod clapped his hands, his heads. The paranoid android! I left him moping about on Frogstar B. When was this? Well, uh, 576,000 million years ago, I suppose, said Zaphod. Hey, uh, hand me the rap rod plate, Captain. The waiter's eyebrows wandered about his forehead in confusion. I, I beg your pardon, sir? he said. The phone, waiter, said Zaphod, grabbing it off him. She, you guys are so unhip, it's a wonder your bums don't fall off. Indeed, sir. Hey, Marvin, is that you? said Zaphod into the phone. How you doing, kid? There was a long pause before a thin, low voice came up the line. I think you ought to know. I'm feeling very depressed, it said. 
Zaphod cupped his hand over the phone. It's Marvin, he said. Hey, Marvin, he said into the phone again. We're having a great time. Food, wine, a little personal abuse, and the universe going foom. Where can we find you? Again, the pause. You don't have to pretend to be interested in me, you know, said Marvin at last. I know perfectly well I'm only a menial robot. Okay, okay, said Zaphod, but where are you? Reverse primary thrust, Marvin. That's what they say to me. Open airlock number three, Marvin. Marvin, can you pick up that piece of paper? Can I pick up that piece of paper? Here I am, brain the size of a planet, and they ask me to... Yeah, 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 sympathised Zaphod, hardly at all. But I'm quite used to being humiliated, droned Marvin. I can even go and stick my head in a bucket of water if you like. Would you like me to go and stick my head in a bucket of water? I've got one ready. Wait a minute. Hey, uh, Marvin, interrupted Zaphod, but it was too late. Sad little clunks and gurgles came up the line. What's he saying? asked Trillian. Nothing, said Zaphod. He just phoned up to wash his head at us. There, said Marvin, coming back on the line and bubbling a bit. I hope that gave satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, said Zaphod. Now, will you please tell us where you are? I'm in the car park, said Marvin. The car park? What are you doing there? Parking cars. What else does one do in a car park? Okay, hang in there, we'll be right down. In one movement, Zaphod leapt to his feet, threw down the phone, and wrote Hot Black Desiato on the bill. Come on, guys, he said. Marvin's in the car park. Let's get on down. What's he doing in the car park? asked Arthur. Parking cars. What else, dum-dum? But what about the end of the universe? We'll miss the big moment. I've seen it. It's rubbish, said Zaphod. Nothing but gnib-gib. A what? The opposite of a big bang. Come on, let's get zappy. A few of the other diners paid them any few of the other diners paid them any attention as they weaved their way through the restaurant to the exit. Their eyes were riveted on the horror of the skies. An interesting effect to watch for, Max was telling them. Is in the upper left-hand quadrant of the sky, where if you look really carefully, you can see the star system Hastromil boiling away into the ultraviolet. Anyone here from Hastromil? There were one or two slightly hesitant cheers from somewhere at the back. Well, said Max, beaming cheerfully at them, it's too late to worry whether you left the gas on now, huh? Celebrity. The main reception foyer was almost empty, but Ford nevertheless weaved his way through it. Zaphod grasped him firmly by the arm and manoeuvred him into a cubicle standing to one side of the, the entrance hall. What are you doing to him? asked Arthur. 
Sobering him up, uh, sobering him up, said Zaphod, and pushed a coin into a slot. Lights flashed, gases swirled. Hi, said Zaphod, stepping out a moment later. Where are we going? Down to the car park, come on. What about the personal time teleport, said Ford. Get us straight back to the heart of gold. Yeah, but I've called on that ship. Zarni Whoop can have it. I don't want to play his games. Let's see what we can find. A serious cybernetics corporation happy vertical people transporter took them down deep into the substrata beneath the restaurant. They were glad to see it had been vandalized and didn't try to make them happy as well as take them down. At the bottom of the shaft, the doors opened and a blast of cold, stale air hit them. The first thing they saw on leaving the lift was a long concrete wall with over 50 doors in it offering lavatory facilities for all 50 major life forms. Nevertheless, like every car park in the galaxy throughout the entire history of car parks, this car park smelt predominantly of impatience. They turned a corner and found themselves on a moving catwalk that traversed a vast cavernous space that stretched off into the dim distance. It was divided off into bays, each of which contained a spaceship belonging to one of the diners upstairs. Some smallish and utilitarian mass production models, others vast shining limo ships, the playthings of the very rich. Zaphod's eyes sparkled uh, with something that may or may not have been avarice as he passed over them. In fact, it's best to be clear on this point. Avarice is definitely what it was. There he is, said Trillian. Marvin, down there. They looked to where she was pointing. Dimly, they could see a small metal figure listlessly rubbing a small rag on one remote corner of a giant silver sun cruiser. At short intervals along the moving catwalk, wide transparent tubes led down to floor level. Zaphod stepped off the catwalk into one of these and floated gently downwards. The others followed. Thinking back to this later, Arthur Dent thought it was the single most enjoyable experience of his travels in the galaxy. Hey, Marvin, said Zaphod, striding over towards him. Hey, kid, are we pleased to see you? Marvin turned, and insofar as it is possible for a totally inert metal face to look reproachful, this is exactly what it did. No, you're not, he said. No one ever is. Suit yourself, said Zaphod, and turned away to ogle the ships. Ford went with him. Only Trillian and Arthur actually went up to Marvin. No, really we are, said Trillian, and patted him in a way that he disliked intensely, hanging around, waiting for us all this time. Five hundred and seventy-six thousand million three thousand five hundred and seventy-nine years said Marvin. I counted them. Well, here we are now, said Trillian, feeling quite correctly in Marvin's view that it was a slightly foolish thing to say. The first ten million years were the worst, said Marvin. 
and the second ten million years. They were the worst, too. The third ten million I didn't enjoy at all. After that, I went into a bit of a decline. He paused just long enough to make them feel that they ought to say something, and then interrupted. It's the people that you meet in this job that really get you down, he said, and paused. Trillian cleared her throat. It, is that... The best conversation I had was over forty million years ago, continued Marvin. Again, the pause. Oh, dear, and that was with a coffee machine. He waited. That's a... You don't like talking to me, do you? said Marvin in a low, desolate tone. Trillian talked to Arthur instead. Further down the chamber, Foot Prefect had found something of which he very much liked the look. Several things, in fact. Zaphod, he said in a quiet voice, just look at some of these little star trolleys. Zaphod looked. Zaphod liked. The craft they were looking at was, in fact, pretty small, but extraordinary, and very much a rich kid's toy. It was not much to look at. It resembled nothing so much as a paper dart, about twenty feet long, made of thin but tough metal foil. At the end was a small horizontal two-man cockpit. It had a tiny charm-drive engine, which was not capable of moving at any great speed. The thing it did, however, have was a heat sink. The heat sink had a mass of some 2,000 billion tons and was contained within a black hole mounted in an electromagnetic field situated halfway along the length of the ship. And this heat sink enabled the craft to be manoeuvred to within a few miles of a yellow sun there to catch and ride the solar flares that burst from its surface. Flare riding is one of the most exotic and exhilarating sports in existence, and those who can, dare and afford to do it are amongst the most lionized men in the galaxy. It is also, of course, stupefyingly dangerous. Those who don't die riding invariably die of sexual exhaustion at one of the Daedalus Club's apres flare parties. Ford and Zaphod looked on and passed on. And this baby, said Ford, the tangerine star buggy with the black sunbusters. Again, the star buggy was a small ship. Totally misnamed one, in fact, because the one thing it did it was interstellar distances. Basically, it was a sporty planet hopper, dolled up to look like something it wasn't. Nice lines, though. They passed on. The next one was a big one, about 30 yards long. A coach-built limo ship, obviously designed with one aim in mind. That of making the beholder sick with envy. The paintwork and accessory detail clearly said, not only am I rich enough to afford this ship, 
I am also rich enough not to take it seriously. It was wonderfully hideous. Just look at it, said Zaphod. Multi-cluster quark drive, X running boards. Got to be a Lasla Laricon custom job. He examined every inch. Yeah, he said, look at the infrapink lizard emblem on the neutrino cowling. Lasla's trademark. The man has no shame. Was passed by one of these mothers once, out by the Axel Nebula, said Ford. It was going flat out. I was going flat out, and this thing just strolled past me, star drive hardly ticking over. Just incredible. Zaphod whistled appreciatively. Ten seconds later, said Zaphod, it smashed straight into the third moon of Jaglan Beta. Yeah, right? Amazing looking ship, though. Looks like a fish. Moves like a fish. Steers like a cow. Ford looked around the other side. Hey, come and see, he called out. There's a big mural painted on this side. A bursting sun. Disaster area's trademark. This, this must be hot black ship. Lucky old bugger. They do this terrible song, you know, which ends with a stunt ship crashing into the sun. Meant to be an amazing spectacle. Expensive in stunt, in stunt ships, though. Zaphod's attention, however, was elsewhere. His attention was riveted on the ship standing next to Hot Black Desiato's limo. His mouths hung open. That, he said, that is really bad for the eyes. Ford looked. He stood astonished. It was a ship of classic, simple design, like a flattened salmon. Twenty yards long, very clean, very sleek. There was just one remarkable thing about it. It's so black, said Ford Prefect. You, you can hardly make out its shape. Light just seems to fall into it. Zaphod said nothing. He had simply fallen in love. The blackness of it was so extreme that, that it was almost impossible to tell how close you were standing to it. Your, your eyes just slide off it, said Ford in wonder. It was an emotional moment. He bit his lip. Zaphod moved forwards towards it, slowly, like a man possessed, or, more accurately, like a man who wanted to possess. His hand reached out to stroke it. His hand stopped. His hand reached out to stroke it again. His hand stopped again. Come and feel this surface, he said in a hushed voice. Ford put his hand out to feel it. His hand stopped. You, you, you can't, he said. See, said Zaphod, it's just totally frictionless. This one must be a mother of a mover. 
He turned to look at Ford seriously. At least one of his heads did. The other stayed gazing in awe at the ship. What do you reckon, Ford? he said. You mean, uh, Ford looked over his shoulder. You mean stroll off with it? You think we should? No. Nor do I. But we're going to, aren't we? How can we not? They gazed a little longer, till Zaphod suddenly pulled himself together. Ah, yeah, we'd better shift soon, he said. In a moment or two the universe will have ended, and all the captain creeps will be pouring down here to find their bourgeois Zaphod, said Ford. Yeah? How do we do it? Simple, said Zaphod. He turned. Marvin, he called. Slowly, laboriously, and with a million little clanking and creaking noises that he had learned to simulate, Marvin turned around to answer the summons. Come on over here, said Zephyr. We got a job for you. Marvin trudged towards them. I won't enjoy it, he said. Yes, you will, enthused Zephyr. There's a whole new life stretching out ahead of you. Oh. Not another one, groaned Marvin. Will you shut up and listen, hissed Zaphod. This time there's going to be excitement and adventure and really wild things. Sounds awful, Marvin said. Marvin, all I am trying to ask you, I suppose you want me to open this ship for you. What? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's right, said Zaphod jumpily. He was keeping at least three eyes on the entrance. Time was short. Well, I wish you'd just rather tell me than try and engage my enthusiasm, said Marvin. Because I haven't got one. He walked up to the ship, touched it, and a hatchway swung open. Ford and Zaphod stared at the opening. Don't mention it said Marvin. No, you didn't. He trudged away again. Arthur and Trillian clustered round. What's happening? asked Arthur. Look at this, said Ford. Look at the interior of the ship. Weirder and weirder, breathed Zaphod. It, it's black, said Ford. Every, everything in it is just totally black. In the restaurant, things were fast approaching the moment after which there wouldn't be any more moments. All eyes were fixed on the dome, other than those of Hot Black Desiato's bodyguard, which were looking intently at Hot Black Desiato, and those of Hot Black Desiato himself, which the bodyguard had closed out of respect. The bodyguard leaned forward over the table. Had Hot Black Desiato been alive, he probably would have deemed this a good moment to lean back, or even go for a short walk. His bodyguard was not a man who improved with proximity. On account of his unfortunate condition, however, Hot Black Desiato remained totally inert. Mr Desiato, sir, whispered the bodyguard. Whenever he spoke, it looked as if the muscles on either side of his mouth were clambering over each other to get out of the way. 
Mr. Desiato, can you hear me? Hot Black Desiato quite naturally said nothing. Hot Black, hissed the bodyguard. Again, quite naturally, Hot Black Desiato did not reply. Supernaturally, however, he did. On the table in front of him, a wine glass rattled. A fork rose an inch or so and tapped against the glass. It settled on the table again. The bodyguard gave a satisfied grunt. It's time we were going, Mr. Desiato, muttered the bodyguard. Don't want to get caught in a rush, not in your condition. You want to get the next gig? Get want to get to the next gig nice and relaxed. It was a really big audience for it. One of the best. Cacrafoon. 576,002 million years ago. Had you will have been looking forward to it. The fork rose again, paused, waggled in a non-committal sort of way, and dropped again. Ah, come on, said the bodyguard. It's going to have been great. You knocked him cold. The bodyguard would have given Dr. Dan Streetmenchner an apoplectic attack. The black ship's going to go into the sun. That one always gets them. And the new one's a beauty. Be real sorry to see it go. If we get on down there, I'll set the black ship autopilot and we'll cruise off in a limo, OK? The fork tapped once in agreement, and the glass of wine mysteriously emptied itself. The bodyguard wheeled Hot Black Desiato's chair out of the restaurant. And now, cried Max from the centre of the stage, the moment you have all been waiting for. He flung his arms into the air. Behind him, the band went into a frenzy of percussion and rolling synthochords. Max had argued with them about this, but they had claimed it was in their contract, and that's that, and that's what they would do. His agent would have to sort it out. The skies begin to boil, he cried. Nature collapses into the screaming void. In twenty seconds' time, the universe itself will be at an end. See where the light of infinity bursts in upon us. The hideous fury of destruction blazed about them, and at that moment a still small trumpet sounded as if from an infinite distance. Max's eyes swivelled round to glare at the band. Not one of them seemed to be playing a trumpet. Suddenly, a wisp of smoke was swirling and shimmering on the stage next to him. The trumpet was joined by more trumpets. Over five hundred times Max had done this show, and nothing like this had ever happened before. He drew, black, it drew back in alarm from the swirling smoke. And as he did so, a figure slowly materialised inside. The figure of an ancient man, bearded, robed, and wreathed in light. In his eyes were stars, and on his brow a golden crown. What's this? 
whispered Max, wild-eyed. What's happening? At the back of the restaurant, the stony-faced party from the Church of the Second Coming of the Great Prophet Zarquan leapt ecstatically to their feet, chanting and crying. Max blinked in amazement. He threw up his arms to the audience. Hey, a big hand, please, ladies and gentlemen, he hollered, for the great prophet Zarquan. He has come. Zarquan has come again. Thunderous applause broke out as Max strode across the stage and handed his microphone to the prophet. Zarquan coughed. He peered around at the assembled gathering. The stars in his eyes twinkled uneasily. He handled the microphone with confusion. Uh, he said. Oh, hello. Uh, look, uh, I'm, I'm awfully sorry I'm a bit late. I, I, I've had the most ghastly time, all sorts of things cropping up at the last moment. He seemed nervous of the expectant, awed hush. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> uh, how are we for time? Uh, have I got just a min? And so the universe ended. As shall we for this evening, I think. Does that not seem like a good spot to finish? Thank you very much again, everybody, for attending and making this so much fun for me to do. We will carry on again next week, uh, same time, same place, same channels. Uh, as I said to uh, people at the beginning of the first abortive version this evening, which kind of crapped out on us, I, I will be starting to post the onto uh, both. Um, so, well, I'll, I'll, try, I'll try that in English, shall I? I will be posting these onto uh, onto. Um, uh, iTunes and Spotify uh, as podcasts. Uh, sorry, I've just seen the thing. Brenda, my mother has just wrote, when, when my lamp broke, she said, I've got a spare lamp if you'd like one. Yeah, you, you're in Mepham in Kemp. I'm sorry. But nice. Thank you very much for the, the invitation. I'll get a new bulb for next week. Um, so, yes, uh, the podcast will start to be rolled rolled out onto iTunes and Spotify and other other podcast channels. Um, but thank you very much for this evening. Lovely, lovely, lovely people. You're very lovely. Uh, and uh, see you same time next week. In the meantime, have a very, very good week. Look after yourselves. Be careful. Um, observe the correct social distancing practices. Don't believe the bollocks that people with guns in America are saying just because they want a haircut. Um, be sensible human beings. Uh, and, um, yeah, thank you very much for joining me again this evening. And see you in a week's time. Take care, guys. Bye.